May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and to the disciples to them that were set down. St. John, chapter 6, verse 11. At the heart of humanity's self-inflicted separation from God is the poisonous idea that God just maybe won't be enough. Again and again, generation after generation, mankind awakes to find itself in a beautiful world of beauty and promise gifted to us by the Creator. Of course, this same world has been wounded by humanity's selfishness and sin, wrapped by a cosmic affliction which comes from humanity failing to be the faithful stewards of all that God has given us. As we hear in the bracing command that God gave to his first image bearers, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. Genesis 1, 28. Humanity was meant to be part of the great divine project to, in love and equity, rule the good world that he had given us. This precious, crowned, earth-shaped jewel. This beautiful thing he'd created. For that purpose, God gave our first parents, as he says, every plant-yielding seed that is in all the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them all for food. Humanity, with God's breath moving in its lungs, stepped into its destiny, fed by the miraculous food of God's good creation. Before the fall of man, we see a world created from nothing as a gift for God's junior partners. We see a powerful alliance between creator and creature in which humanity lived in the will of God for the glory of God. In the will of God for the glory of God. And in this relationship received the incalculable benefits of living within the life-giving order God brought out of the chaos of uncreated space. The death and decay, hunger and pain we experience now are simply the symptoms of being in our own ways tragically dislodged from this beautiful order. And this rebellion from the grounding of reality began with eating. It began with Adam's act of anti-communion, his black mass where the union between God and man was broken in the first taste of evil. This perverse, false sacrament of disunity and alienation. We might complain, I thought this, that eating or not eating from a particular tree is a stupid or arbitrary way of setting the boundary between good and evil. But this would be to ignore the inherent mercy of setting up a visible and straightforward line of demarcation between right and wrong. Remember, one can't 
accidentally eat a piece of fruit. It's there, it's black and white, it's real. But over and above that, we would be ignoring all the many symbols which govern our own lives. One could easily say that borders are just imaginary lines, but a walk across the Korean Peninsula's 38th parallel is to step between two very different worlds. Or what about money? The dollars in our pockets have no intrinsic value. They are symbols of a value regulated by our government. And yet these symbols govern so much of our lives because of the power someone tells us they have. Whether then it is the fruit of the garden or the bread of heaven, God's symbols are much more real than these examples because they are divinely established marks of our eternal status. To eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was to declare citizenship in the ranks of death. To eat of the bread of heaven is to regain again the divine benefits of being on God's side of the war between good and evil. If we think then about salvation as the Trinity's mission to bring about the new heaven and the new earth, then it all must flow through humanity regaining its dominion over the earth. This project begins with Abraham, but finds its first great crescendo in the first exodus of God's people from the land of Egypt, mentioned today in our lesson. It is there that God pulls humanity's representative people, God's new allies against evil, away from the most powerful nation on earth, defeating their false gods and chariots in a massive global display of the true God's irresistible strength and indomitable power. The Creator saves His people because it is through these people He will save the creation. By day, the new Adams and new Eves are led by a pillar of cloud. By night, fire in the sky tells them where to go, and once again, God feeds his people. As our Lord tells Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Exodus 16.4 Or as the Psalms put it, So he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna also upon them for to eat and gave them food from heaven. So man did eat angels' food, for he sent them bread enough. Psalm 78, 24-26 As the Israelites worshipped and prepared for their great mission to reverse the curse of Adam, they walked through Adam's wilderness, once again led by God's clear direction, once again fed from God's very hand. But, as if we needed one more reminder, humanity is terrible at saving the world. I'm always amazed at people who have faith in humanity, but not in God. The kind of people who are sure there exists a future world in which we can cure ourselves of the selfishness and evil that always plagues our best intentions. This is the space one goes to to find blind faith. 
faith with no evidence. Of course, the rest of the Old Testament is the painful story of what it looks like for a people to eat of the poison fruit of every tree they can find. God gives the law he, another beautiful, wonderful, clear line of demarcation with more than one command, right? More than don't eat that bloody tree. 613 commands established to bridge the yawning chasm generations of sinfulness had created between holy God and unholy people. One can imagine in our own time trying to construct a comprehensive law. We would need about another thousand rules just for the internet. Right? It would be very difficult. What the divine law here, though, makes abundantly clear is that humanity lives in a deeper and deeper valley of the shadow of death, so very separated from the love of the life-giving God. What happens? Jerusalem falls. Jerusalem falls not only because the people failed to live in the ordered world envisioned by God's law, but perversely, they joined with their pagan neighbors as Adam joined with Satan to let evil into the kingdom. And where evil thrives, holiness dies. Jesus himself dramatically acts out the future destruction of the temple during the first Passover of his public ministry, whipping the money changers and driving out the animals designated for sacrifice. St. John saw Jesus' <coughs> prophetic acting out of the temple's destruction with his own eyes. And he wants us to remember is that Jesus called himself the true temple. The temple which would be torn down and rebuilt in three days. The temple from which the true Passover would come. The temple from which God's new and final allies would be inspirited, reborn and empowered for the fight which lies before them. There's a staggering moment at the end of the temple cleansing when all the animals are gone and all that's left is Jesus. The one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. If we understand that all of the institutions of the Israelite people find their perfection and fulfillment in the ultimate Israelite, then we start to have a good understanding of what is going on today in the second Passover of Jesus' ministry. The feeding of the 5,000 is an incredible, incredible miracle told in all four Gospels because it is a prophetic acting out of who Jesus is. It is a sign of just who stands before the thousands gathered around this mysterious Galilean. God is reaching out once again to do what he has done from the beginning, feed his allies in the fight against evil. The same God who fed Adam and Eve in the garden, the same God who dropped manna from heaven, takes the cheap bread of this poor boy and makes it a feast for his people. But again, what do the people do? By the end of chapter 6, the thousands have abandoned Jesus. God is again betrayed by the people he feeds. It is only the twelve which continue to follow God through the wilderness, feeding on the word, following the heart of the universe as he proclaims 
the kingdom of God. Which brings us, of course, to the third Passover of Christ's earthly ministry. The upper room where Jesus was surrounded by that same twelve. And it's there in the Last Supper that once again God feeds his people. It is in this feeding, though, that all the hopes of the world rest. For it is here that the people of God, reborn in baptism, escorted safely through our own Red Sea, are given the food we need to make it through our own wilderness wandering, to stand firm against the Satan's temptations and lies. God feeds us from himself, from his own perfect holiness and love, and that is how we are finally made whole. We see that through the Holy Eucharist, we are made partakers of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross so that we never again can say, where is God? Never again. The only haunting question which remains for us and our family and our neighbors and our enemies is this, where are we? Where are we? Are we the allies of God? Are we the holy family of the new Adam, once again feasting with the true God in the little Eden of our church? Or are we on the outside looking in, hoping the gluttonous extravagances of the dying world will fill us, hoping one more betrayal of the God who feeds us will bring happiness, rather than the same desperation which carried Judas to the tree of his suicide? Let it never be so. Let it never be so. God has taken our meager offerings of cheap bread and wine. He has looked into our saborium and chalice. And he has promised to use these gifts to fill us with love and hope and everlasting life. For the first time since Adam voluntarily gave his crown to Satan... Humanity has a king worth dying for. Christ is the Lord our righteousness, and he is calling us to his feast. Let us then eat at his table and be filled forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.